Welcome to one more edition of Politics on Right. My name is Egberto Willis. Today we are honored to have a very special guest. Dr. Mansoor Nordell is a board-certified optometrist with offices throughout the Denver metro area. In addition uh, to his time spent as a doctor, he's a real estate agent and investor. He currently resides in Castle Pines, Colorado with his wife and two boys. He's the author of One More Mountain, Fleeing Iran for America. Good afternoon, and thank you so kindly for being here with us at Politics Done Right, Dr. Uh, Nerdell. Well, thank you very much, uh, Egberto. I, uh, it's an, an honor to be in your show and uh, uh, the opportunity to uh, uh, talk to you as well as your listeners. This is a, uh, an honor for me. Well, look, let me, let, me, let me first tell you the book that we want to discuss. And, you know, I've always been intrigued with Iran. I mean, I, I, from the time I went to the University of Texas at Austin, which guess what? It was in, it started in 1980. So that should be quite a propos with you. But anyway, the book, uh, it, it, interesting. But first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, not in Iran, but uh, right now, present day in Colorado. Uh, well, uh, as I have uh, uh, really written the book, I am an immigrant. Uh, uh, of course, I, I came into the United States as a refugee in 1989. And now currently, I, I live in Colorado and I operate uh, multiple uh, eye care centers in the uh, Denver metro area. And uh, um, as, as you mentioned, I have uh, two kids. Two boys. Actually, one is in uh, uh, UT Austin. So oh, you, he's a that's, Longhorn. That's right. He's a big Longhorn fan. So well, he I don't should think be he happy misses any of the games. I know, but here's the deal: we are in the champ, or rather, we are in the uh, in the four. What what you call it? Playoff. That's we right. We made it to the playoffs. So you're you're going to be coming to Texas, I guess, a few times to check him out. Does he like it here? Oh, he uh, he loves it. He loves Austin, and he's uh, uh, he had a difficult in the summer there, though. But with the heat this this year was yes. was hot, so brutal. Yes, yes. So he is enjoying it. So uh, that's what I uh, I'm of course really in the real estate uh, world. I'm a more investor than really more a real estate agent. But mm -hmm. I do have a license for just myself, uh, and so to understand the real estate world a little bit better. So you came here and pretty much lived the American dream. You had the the, the the wherewithal to go ahead and work your butt off to move forward here in America, correct? Yes, I actually came with the $413 in my pocket and the deposit for my uh, uh, apartment was $275. So I was short even paying the first month uh, first month the rent, but I am uh, grateful what America has offered to me and many other Im immigrants. Uh, I am uh, really perfect example of American dream immigrant life. Let, uh, let me. I, I'm not going to try to get political with you on 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 my politics, but I just want to say something. One of the reasons we do what we do here is exactly that reason I'm an immigrant as well. I'm an immigrant from Panama, Central America. And one of the reasons I do what I do is we came here like you did on a, to America as a dream, to America as a, a place where you can be successful if you work hard, and America where your integrity gets you further. 
So we cannot allow that to go away. But let's talk about your book. Tell me, why did you write the book, first of all? Um, well, it's the... Uh... I, I'll tell you background. It had been 2007, a very good patient of mine invited us uh, to see a, a play that he was going to be. Uh, so, uh, and this the play was uh, in a Cherry Creek North uh, Theater. And I had, really, we didn't know what the play was. And my wife and I, we just really went to uh, support Mark. Mm -hmm. And we... I uh, went there and the play was about the diary of Anne Frank. Mm -hmm. As a Persian, as an Iranian, we have no clue who <laughs> uh, <was> the... <laughs> uh, Anne Frank is. We really right. don't. I had never known about it. I had uh, uh, up to that point. So I am sitting in the uh, play uh, theater, uh, uh, Egberto, and I was really watching my own life in front of my eyes. It was so impactful that I could not sit uh, and uh, watch the play. I walked out. I couldn't control myself. My wife didn't know the depth of the stories. And she panicked. So I uh, here I'm 45 years old and uh, in the hall is uh, uh, crying his heart out. So Ironically, I had the actually exactly at the same age as uh, Anne Frank. I had my own diary because so it was so real uh, that I couldn't take it. Mm -hmm. This was the opening of my uh, talking to my friends and my patients. And anytime I told a little bit of a story of my life to my patients and my friends, they said, oh my God, you have to write this. Finally, in 2019, I had more opportunity. Uh, workload was reduced significantly. And I said, this is the one thing I need to do. So I really wrote the book for uh, my kids, my new generation to understand what life looks like outside this wonderful country that we have here. Now, you started the book with a story and candy. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, I was four years old when I, uh, my cousin and I, we ran to a uh, only store that our village had, and we uh, ran to get a candy, and the uh, store owner refused to sell us the candy, and I was just confused. I was, uh, how do what would a four years old really can comprehend? So I came back to my uh, mom and crying and say, uh, uh, his his name was at, at Red Eye Muhammad, actually. It was so funny that uh, um, uh, he had, now that I'm in eye care center, and I, I know what that condition was. Right. <laughs> so, uh, and my mom uh, said, yes, the uh, store owner will sell, will not sell goods to our family because we are not Muslims. We are Baha'is. Mm -hmm. uh, we were the only Baha'i family in that village. And that's, I really faced the discrimination and uh, from age four and knowing my family is different when, when I was four years old. The, the reason I wanted to start there is because that is inherently something that 
so many of us have to go through. And I and I think it's it, as bad as it is. Sometimes what it it either it either makes you stronger, meaning you're going to have the resolve to overcome what's been happening to you, or you're going to succumb to it. And it's evident you uh, you overcame it time and time again. So tell me the story of uh, you moving around in Iran as a your you and your family as a person. Uh, with a different religion than the, the religion that predominated there. And let me tell you how I'd like to kind of address this, because you lived through various periods in Iran. Uh, uh, in other words, in Iran, we started, we can, we could we could get started with Mossadegh, or we could get started with uh, when when the Shah was in power, migrated into to, um, to 79, when uh, it was taken over. How were these different periods? Well, with you, not Mossadegh, but the other one. Well, how how did this period affect your family not being that religion that that has been a constancy several thousand years in the making? So um, I actually uh, addressed these uh, some of these in my book. So I started the book really since when uh, I was four years old, mm -hmm. and I described what as a uh young boy i uh really experienced everything that you can think of uh bullying name calling uh stone thrown at and just really there was not even a day that we would i would come home uh without uh uh being bullied uh, in the uh, on the streets so uh but that was part of daily life and uh, but in 1978, uh, things changed drastically. So our family, which was the only Baha'i family in the small village in northwestern part of Iran, uh, actually our house uh, was completely destroyed. Uh, our belongings were looted, uh, uh, and we were forced to leave uh, the village, and while we were given only a, uh, eight hours of ultimatum, either tomorrow morning uh, to go to mosque and recant what we believe and or uh, get out of the village. We chose the latter one. So right, you know, I was only 14 years old in front of my eyes. Uh, um, everything was uh, completely destroyed and burned down. So we I le we left the village and I'm, I grew up basically I spent my teenage years in a uh, larger city called Tabriz in northwestern part of Iran and these teenage years were uh, tumultuous. This was the time that there was a war between Iran and Iraq, as well as the everyday political uh, unrests as uh, and. Baha'is were always target during these times. So uh, several Baha'is were executed during that time uh, in Tabriz. Over 200 Baha'is were executed actually in early 1980s in Iran. So I witnessed all of those. Now, interestingly, didn't the Baha'i religion start off in Iran? Yes, yes. Baha'i faith is started in uh, 1844 in Iran. Now, uh, you uh, that uh, being of the religion. I mean, there's nothing. There's nothing physically ethnic, diff ethnically different 
than that you have from any Iranian. So you had to be demonstrably, you, you had to display your religion in somehow that folks knew you were uh, of a different faith, correct? Correct. They should know that, yes. So it takes a certain amount of fortitude that in, in a place where <laughs> mostly the entire or the vast majority of the country is um, is Islam of, of the Islam faith, Muslim, that you can actually stand out as a Baha'i or Christian or whatever other religion that inhabits the, the location. What do you think gave your family that resolve uh, to keep, uh, to be able to live that life surrounded as they were? Well, I think that just to being truth yourself and your heart and your belief. So uh, my family, I still have three brothers in Iran, uh, Egberto. They're still suffering today. It's, it hasn't gone away. So what has happened since 1988, it has become systematically uh, backed by the government. So that's the prior 1978, uh, uh, 79. Um, yes, we were uh, in a small village. Uh, I was uh, uh, bullied. However, it wasn't in a larger city population to know, okay, you are Baha'i. So, but now it has become a systematic persecutions of Baha'is by the Islamic government. Uh, no Baha'i even today as a young man can get a higher education than high school. Oh, really? That's right. Every, my American friends, they found it, they really get dumbfounded to hear it. No Baha'i is still allowed to get a uh, higher education than a high school in Iran. Baha'i's cemeteries and holy places are destroyed. And even the old, you know, the, what is it? The old uh, a dead body is going to do to you. So, and these are done and uh, really the, by the government. No Baha'i is still, uh, no Baha'i works in a, a government agencies, large corporations, and they are in a tremendous economic pressure. So there are all, over about 300, now about 300,000, close to 400,000 Baha'is. All of them are suffering in every aspect of it uh, because of these persecutions today. Now, are you telling me then, uh, Dr. Nodel, that um, Baha'is in, in, in Iran, Baha'is are not doctors, lawyers, or any of these things? They can only be, let's say, a storekeeper or something like that? Unfortunately and sadly, absolutely right. Because if you can't get a professional degree, you can't practice medicine, you can't practice law, you can't practice engineering right. or any one of those subjects. Correct. So if you wanted to be a doctor, you just about had to be a refugee as you were. Tell us a little bit about your path from Iran to refugeedom. Sure. Well, just to give you a little bit, even to uh, uh, confirm what you said, actually, my brother was a second year medical school student and he was expelled from university and he is still in Iran and he is in a, just running a, uh shop mm -hmm. and not every shop by the way it, it, they cannot run a shop that has it has to do with the food or so restrictions just incredible right so um to answer your question so i left iran to pursue a uh dream of uh uh 
really going become an uh, architect mm -hmm. uh which i ended up being not an architect and i went to uh i came to uh milwaukee wisconsin as a refugee as i mentioned it's really nothing in my pocket right um so where, where did you come through you, you started in iran how did you get to wisconsin oh uh, i was in the, turkey uh for a year and a half Mm -hmm. So what the book is all about, because I walked the uh, border of Iran and Turkey in the dead of winter, 13 days walk, when the uh, temperatures were uh, way below zero, snow up to chest. We crossed the uh, frozen rivers and uh, uh, mountains uh, as high as our Rocky Mountains in Colorado, even higher. Wow. Uh, so, and 13 days, we walked at the night times and we, uh, slept at the day times. Uh, so after 13 days, which again, I detailed every single day. Unfortunately, uh, I had all these uh, notes for, uh, uh to bring those information yeah. to life. So it's. After I arrived to Turkey, uh, you have to go to United Nations the refugee office and register. So I was as a refugee in uh, Turkey for uh, 18 months before coming to United States. And then you got went through the immigration at the United States to get, get in, entrance as Correct. a refugee into Wisconsin. Correct. Now, um, when you said you traveled through those mountains uh, at night for 13 days, is that a, a known smuggling path, let's say that um, that's used to get people out of Iran who are trying to escape the persecution. Um, uh, there's a ethnic group in that region, Kur Kurds. Everyone knows uh, these days Kurdistan. Right. Uh, the Kurdistan is the Kurdish people live in the uh, region that share the uh, border between Iran and Turkey and Iraq. Mm -hmm. So they really know that region well. They uh, they actually intermarry from the one country to another country. So the border doesn't mean anything to them. Right. So we had uh, uh, a guide uh, guided or hired these uh, smugglers or Kurdish smugglers to guide us. But it is so dangerous, uh, Egberto, that very very few. Iranians uh, will take that path. It's a super dangerous path. So there are other Baha'is have escaped from Iran. The majority of have uh, taken the route to Pakistan, which mm -hmm. is much less dangerous. Now, uh, when you made that route, that um, journey, did you do it with, with relatives or did you do it pretty much, I'm getting the hell out of here? Uh, no, two other friends. Uh, -huh. uh, uh, two uh, friends that one is in now in Australia, and the other one uh, uh, was in Canada, but unfortunately we lost him. Okay, sorry so. to hear. Sorry to hear about that. Now it's interesting because one of the reasons that um after I I you know Tom kind of told me uh, Tim told me about you, um that immigrant story is powerful, especially in these times where xenophobia is uh, going through the roof. And I I tell you. Um, a lot of a lot of people don't understand the tribulations that folks go through to come to the United States or other uh, countries. Some of them 
uh, seem to believe like uh, there's really much of a humane choice not to do it. And I think anybody who can walk across a mountain, walk across mountains on zero degrees, uh, they've earned their right to live anywhere. Well, uh, thank you. I think the uh, my view on this, frankly, my story probably is not any, uh, I am lucky one that I was able to write this story, Egberto. Right. I, I am very, very sure there are much uh, more deeper uh, stories than mine. The immigrants, they really, uh, what I, my view is, bring a different, uh, uh, different light to our fabrics of our society. We contribute to this society. Uh, and I, I am perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm actually honored to say that uh, in the past 25 years, I had uh, employed as high as 86 uh, staff in the Metro Denver area. So uh, it's a gift this country has offered to us. And I am uh, very blessed to be a part of this. Well, of course you're blessed to be a part of it. I'm blessed to be a part of uh, of this country. We are blessed to be immigrants. Are blessed to be here, and and those who are former immigrants as well are blessed to be here. Absolutely. So what I what I try to mention, and with your story, why I why it it endears me to it, is again, uh, it, it's not only that you've employed a whole lot of people, is that you've you've you have made the fabric of this country like every immigrant has made the fabric of this country what it is. Because of who we are is right. why we can be as powerful as we are. Absent that, we're nothing. I 100% agree. I, I think the other thing that I, I have to say, no one really uh, gets up and leaves uh, his or her country because we, we just want to, okay? Right. There are certain circumstances that forces us to take this really dangerous routes. I mean, right. I, I I didn't uh, just get up and say, okay, I'm just going to walk on 14, 13 days in the dangerous mountains. It was actually, I knew uh, uh, several months before that, it was 19 years old uh, and three other uh, Baha'is were perished in that mountains. Mm -hmm. But you do it. Sometimes you just don't have a choice and or you see a choice future better on the other side of the mountain. At least you take that risk. I took that risk and then I succeeded. And unfortunately there were people, some did not succeed. And that's, that's how the immigration is. Mm -hmm. Immigration is all about taking a, a risk of the for better future on the other side. Well, the people who settled this country, they took risks and uh, as well didn't they absolutely and, and everybody who has who's sitting on this land took some risks those who lost this land who were originally here took uh -huh. risks i mean one of the things that I, I i try to put out there to uh because uh, right now we're going through a period of xenophobia in in this country and i what i try to make people know using my program uh, quite often is that first of all uh it is uh it is great to have you here in this country uh, it is great to have all the immigrants in this country, but let's also note that
that externalities, including some created by our country, yours truly, the United States of America, are directly responsible for a lot of the people transitioned into this uh, to this land. So I think um, t t your story and the story of many other immigrants who could tell a different story than your story would give the mosaic that people need to see that, in effect, we shouldn't be looking at immigration as a problem, but we should be embracing immigration, not only because it's a net positive for the country, but just because it's the right thing to do. A hundred percent. I think we we need to, I'm pretty sure you know all these statistics and the United States uh, uh, really 4.4% uh, uh, of the world's population is live in the United States. Yeah. We consume 18% of the world's resources. Yes. We have to rethink, okay, uh, of our con uh, consumerism. We have to think. So it's a, America is a land of opportunity. And if we want to have a better world, we need to re-examine our behavior, frankly. And... Uh, and uh, the the fact uh, you know math is uh, as you well know math is absolute. If four percent of the people are taking eighteen percent of the resources, and then you ask why immigrants are coming over here, well, 100%. there's a shortage of resources. So math is absolute. We have to be we have to be cognizant of that. And one of the things, uh, uh, Mansoor, is that too many people they just hear the top lines and they don't understand the history of the world and they don't understand the complicity of what we do in the world and your story and the story of immigrants over and over are there to tell just that look i i i enjoyed speaking to you but before we go i need to ask you a few things one thing most important question is sure. what would you have liked me to ask you that i didn't ask you uh i think you asked everything and the uh, only thing that i would uh uh, mention how this is someone can get uh, get a hold of this book. <laughs> oh, wow. we're going to we're going to talk about that. I just want to know if uh, within the meat of the book, is there something that you want to tell the audience before we go ahead and tell them how they can find the book? Well, uh, I think it'd be addressed it again. The, it's really the book is about the uh, human resili resiliency and uh, uh, shared uh, faith and how. Uh, I like my readers and people know how the what the Baha'is are going through in United, in, in Iran uh, as a result of us. But I appreciate, you know, I think we address everything that I thought we were going to talk. Well, look, let me ask you, uh, uh, Dr. Nerdell, how can folks, uh, first of all, all the links to your book is going to be in the accompanying blog for this particular program. But please tell them how they can get your book in other domains. Oh, thank you. Uh, the uh, the website for the book is www.onemoremountain.com. Uh, the book is available in every format, in audiobook, uh, ebook, Kindle, and it's available through the all the uh, um, uh, major bookstores as well as the uh, or any of the uh, Amazon and uh, uh, major bookstores. And you even got it in hard copy too. Yes. <laughs> Ab absolutely. So, well, look, um, first of all, Dr. Mansoor, the author of One More Mountain, 
freeing Iran for uh, fleeing Iran from or for America. Let me repeat that. One more mountain fleeing Iran for America. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. Thank you very much. It was an honor and it was an honor to be here and uh, uh, to talk to your listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.